0: Disclosure. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, any and all information presented in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for specific, individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making any decision. How's it going, everyone? Ben Keaty again here with another episode of the Wealth Crypto Podcast. And this time we have on Greg Johnson. He is the founder and CEO of Rubicon Crypto, which is a asset manager for crypto solutions. They serve individuals, RIAs and institutions. And Greg has a background coming from the TradFi side of things. So he was a financial advisor way back when and then had a career at Ameriprise, and then has done various other things from that point, ultimately found his way into crypto and started Rubicon about a year and a half ago. So really excited for this conversation. hope y'all enjoy it. And without much further ado, we will jump into it. We are live. Hey, Greg.
1: <laughs> Hello there. How are you?
0: Good, good. Um, like I said, just got back from San Diego. So kind of getting life back in order. It's a little colder in Sacramento than my wife and I anticipated. So that's good.
1: I'm sure it is. Well, it's great to join you. Great to be with you today.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. So for the listeners out there, I have on Greg Johnson. He is CEO and co-founder, founder,
1: co-founder, right?
0: co-founder of Rubicon, which is a crypto asset SMA asset manager. So I'll stop there and let the expert take it. But (laughs) greg maybe you can just give us a little bit of your background where you came from how you got into wealth management how you got into crypto just kind of the story so people can
1: i'm happy to do it again thanks thanks for having us on and allowing us to have a conversation that's very timely and i think important uh, given your your intended audience so you know look i'm i'm very fortunate i uh i uh, found myself uh at the perfect place at the perfect time back in 1990 uh, uh, with American Express right out of undergrad, uh, working uh, as a CFP advisor at the age of twenty two and <laughs> I was uh, uh, really fortunate that at that time, nobody really in this nation was talking about financial planning, nobody was talking about fee for advice, and so I just happened to be you know at one of the you know, the top brands in the world what i didn 't realize and I really came to appreciate later is I also found myself in Boston. Which was at the time a powerhouse office for American Express, you know, with the number one office and the number one manager. And you know, if you're smart enough to be dumb enough to follow really good systems and then work 100 hours a week, yeah. you know, you can build any business. To be honest with you, and I, I was uh, like I said, in that right place, right time, and then you know, put the elbow grease in, and I built a very, very large practice with American Express. Uh, ultimately, I, I divested and I sold my practice at the turn of the century, uh, became an executive with them, uh, rose very steadily uh, and was a senior executive before, during and after the spinoff that became Ameriprise Financial. So I am in the digital asset space, one of those TradFi, CeFi you know, <laughs> people uh, that everyone loves to love to hate. Yeah, um, so it's not I, a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. But I really do think that's allowed me to really connect the dots uh, about what we're seeing right now, what an incredible moment this is. And it really was that foundation that allowed me to see the opportunity with my co-founders to uh, bootstrap and, and build Rubicon crypto uh, to be one of the very first crypto uh, uh, SMA platforms in the United States. That truly does active professional management like you typically see with other risk on assets like stocks. So, uh, very, very proud of that. And I think we're also very excited about the messaging that has really resonated about what Rubicon is talking about, which is common sense crypto. Uh, there's, there's so much irrational exuberance out there about these new emerging asset classes and we've really made a brand about trying to get folks to to really focus on what they really should be excited about what the big picture uh is uh incredibly uh exciting to to folks like us uh and to not worry about all of the the cheap 30 second headlines and you know social media clips out there about crypto it's much bigger than that i hope we have a chance to get into that more in the conversation
0: yeah yeah i think I mean, I think one thing I'd be curious to just know is what exactly do you mean by common sense crypto? Because there's, yeah. there's a lot of...
1: Did I mention I'm excited asshole. to talk about this stuff?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, common sense crypto, first of all, you know, we owe a, a debt of gratitude to the former first celebrity, you know, Federal Reserve chairman. You know, there was a time when nobody could would, would ever be able to, you know, tell you who the hell, you know, the Fed chairman was in the United States of yeah. America. In 1996, you had Alan Greenspan emerge as the head of the Federal Reserve at a time. Yeah. The, um, we also had the emergence of the 24-hour news cycle, yeah. cable television, CNN, you know, Bloomberg, all of these stations reporting 24-7. And so he was the first of the celebrity Fed chairs. He said something in December of 96 uh, at a banquet in D.C. I'm sure there were some economists there. And he basically mentioned for the first time publicly that he thought there existed a climate of irrational exuberance about the markets. And we think that's what's been going on about crypto, that the conversation has been focused on the wrong stuff, the personalities, the culture, a lot of the nonsense in the the space. Mm -hmm. And what we're trying to do is to get people to treat these like another emerging alternative asset class or classes of assets. We think common sense is treating it that way. We think common sense is only putting a small sleeve of your portfolio into digital assets. That's common sense. We think that when you think about duration, that if you're thinking you're gonna be getting a lottery ticket and that's what crypto and digital is to you, we don't think that's you know our cup of tea. That's not what we're about. So to us, common sense means not long-term, but longest term. And I think if you approach it that way, and you look at where we are as an industry in crypto and digital, you know, you can you can parallel that to a lot of other very, very big movements that we now think of as commonplace, but we're once also in the very early stages like we are with crypto and digital.
0: Okay. Okay. So I've got a couple of questions, but maybe... Yeah, let's let's focus in on Rubicon for a second. So SMA platform, obviously for advisors, what what are you guys offering currently? What's different about you guys relative to maybe some of the other SMA providers out there?
1: Well, I I think, first of all, let's begin with the culture that we have at Rubicon, even though we're a boutique shop, you know, it's built by CFPs for CFPs for financial advisors. So that dovetails into that whole common sense and rational exuberance that we talked about, which means what you see and what you hear from me is what you're going to get in terms of interaction with clients, how yeah. we're going to support the team. We understand the pain points of being a practitioner. We know yeah. how hard it is to acquire a client and how how important it is to do everything you can to retain those, those relationships. And so, you know, we 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 come from a culture where we built those businesses, we worked with advisors for a long time and so we're very sensitive to that. But on a technical side, look, we're one of the few SMAs in crypto, kind of the dirty little secret in the SMA side of the digital and crypto space, is that you basically had SMAs that have just been doing Bitcoin and Ethereum. You know, we're one of the first people that went out and said, look, we think we've got some really interesting thesis around modeling. We're going to have two portfolio allocations. One is going to be an entry level that is going to be more large cap oriented for the for the space. So there's no blue chips in crypto or digital assets. So we like to refer to them as powder blue chips, these larger, more established um, use cases that are commercially viable Mm -hmm. making money already and are seeing very strong tokenomics. Uh, On the other side, we have another portfolio. And by the way, that first portfolio, that beginner portfolio is called uh, Brooklyn Bridge with a nod to leading Wall Street. And then we also have one called Golden Gate. And our Golden Gate Bridge portfolio is uh, metaphorically, you can imagine leaving Silicon Valley. So it's all of the newer projects. Okay. Have everything to do with Web3, Metaverse in some cases, or very importantly, a big, big part of the ecosystem has to do with the decentralized applications or DApps. Mm -hmm. I think that's where some of the serious opportunity is over the next five to 10 years.
0: Okay. Okay. So So we
1: actually do professional management. We do act management. Uh, We have uh, established research collaborations to help inform and involve our thesis with mathematics departments and some of the finer universities. You know, we've done that in a way so that we can uh, not be in an echo chamber like so much of the crypto industry we've surrounded ourselves with uh regression geeks not blockchain geeks that yeah. bring bias you know into the discussion these are the things that also speak to common sense in our view
0: mm-hmm. okay so well, maybe some, some easy things real quick about Rubicon. So if I'm an advisor, how, how do I get access to th- the things that you do? Are you on the major custodial platforms or do they go direct yeah. to you or how does that work? Uh,
1: well, with crypto, again, you know, crypto is a little bit different. We partner with Gemini for custody and exchange. Okay. And we plug into most of the, you know, the kind of the, the dashboard services of, that advisors are familiar with. Mm-hmm. And we make it as seamless as possible. I think... If I were an advisor, the other thing that I would be thinking about, about why would I even want to entertain this is uh, the way that uh, many of the successful RIAs that we're partnering with already and how some of the broker dealers that we're in discussions with are planning on using us is as a weapon. In other words, we can actually be one of the the key pieces of a marketing strategy. When you think about the, uh, uh, the challenge of acquiring new organic clients and bringing on new organic assets under management, there are few topics other than uh, crypto and digital assets that will put butts in a seat. And so yeah. whether that's in a digital format or whether or not that's in person, we're doing things across the country that are driving in new people into advisors' practices. They're curious about these topics. Yep. They, they very quickly realize we're sober. Uh, we're not crypto maximalists. They realize mm. that we're deeply connected in DC. They appreciate the fact that we contribute. They, they, they appreciate the fact that we contribute to organizations that are establishment like the Bretton Woods Committee uh, and the IMF and, and so forth. And we're, mm-hmm. we're looked as a leader. And so very quickly, we're able to reflect well upon that advisor, giving them the very rightful impression that they're thinking in a modern way, that they're current, and that they are open-minded to what the future of money and finance is really all about. And that, that really is what's going on right now.
0: Yeah. So, you know, the thing that got me really into crypto was not even, I guess I had a couple of buddies who were talking about it, but it was yeah. more... It was more that future of money topic because yeah. you, you talked about it earlier, like yeah. celebrity feds, like who, who knew who Greenspan or Volker or Yellen or, you know, Bernanke, like who knew, why would you know these people? Right. But what I, what I learned is just how money actually works. And I guess I'd be curious to know, like when you're talking with advisors, do you have this conversation yes. a lot? Just on
1: yeah, what a great, that's a great segue for two things, if you don't mind, if you want to indulge me on two different yeah. uh, engines. The first is, you know, look, I had the privilege to speak um, during the IMF annual meetings in Washington about two weeks ago from the time of this taping. So we're wrapping up October here right now. And uh, I was on a panel with a former head of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, a celebrity professor of finance at NYU. It was moderated by a woman who's on the Board of Governors at the Bank of England. And then clearly I was there to bring down the median age and median IQ, (laughs) but but in all seriousness, um, what was fascinating to me is how much over the last two years the establishment finance and central banking community has become quickly from going from indifference to actually becoming more and more fluent about these subjects, more conversational and fluent in the topics that are around decentralized finance, crypto, blockchains, uh, all of these you know, kind of vernacular that people that are in the industry take for granted. But this is an important, uh, I think, uh, leading indicator that I think would surprise many in the crypto world, just how much these really, really... Uh, accomplished bankers are now paying attention to the space. One of the things I'll share with you now, I said then, uh, was that I think it's hard for people that take great pride in what they did as Fed employees or Fed or are on board of governors to realize just how much trust and confidence has been eroded over the last dozen years. When you think about whether it's fair or unfair to blame central banks on the financial crisis, because I don't think it's fair to blame them for that, they're pulled into the same undertow. But I will say this, it is very fair to blame central banks for missing this inflation uh, uh, window that we're in right now as badly as they did. And um, in the the world of social media and the world of 24-hour news cycles, Everybody thinks they understand Fed policy or that they understand who's to blame or you know what Powell is doing or not doing. And you know 10 years ago, five years ago, even people had no clue who the, the chairman of the Fed was. But in this circumstance, the establishment folks have really, really lost a lot of trust. Why that matters is because uh, it's opening up a new world of money where the US probably for at least the next century will be the number one reserve currency in the world, but it won't hold a 98% market share like it does right now. More and more this erosion of trust is leading to nations and other economic entities not relying on the US dollar as the reserve currency. And it's happening very slowly, but it is most definitely happening. And this is hard for the establishment industry to understand. Just like when you talk to financial advisors in other countries, they have a very different, more accelerated or open-minded view of digital assets and crypto than in the United States. We have this incredible privilege, right? American privilege of living in a country where we've been number one, as far as a reserve currency, our economy has been the largest in the world, blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, I still come across, uh, people that ask the question, how the hell can Bitcoin or crypto be worth anything really, if it's not backed up by the government,
0: (laughs) this is still a
1: common, (laughs) common refrain, you know, and, and it is a good question to ask, even if it's asked in sometimes a snarky way.
0: Okay. Sure. Yeah.
1: And what I think, uh, what i've tried to do both with financial advisors and for individuals is to get them to understand one how privileged that question is that if they lived and grew up in venezuela argentina israel
0: you wouldn't be asking that question you wouldn't be
1: asking that question because you would have lived in a period of hyperinflation yeah and you would have walked into the supermarket instead of dealing with we, what we are right now like i did yesterday i'm like i can't believe how much this mayo costs right <laughs> to to it's now 70% more day over day yeah. That's what most of the world has experienced this, this century, not a hundred years ago.
0: Well, it's this happening century. just right now too, like in the last year, like I was right. reading something the other day that the IMF or one of the, you know, the UN or something is tracking like, um, yeah. currency collapse for a lot of actually emerging nations right now. Like it's, you know, this rise in the dollar is dangerous for a lot of the world.
1: Well, that that's a hard lesson that has proven to become a lot harder. It's always been a casualty of pegging to the U.S. dollar is that when we make decisions to advance our own economic well-being at a central bank level, the trickle down isn't equivalent. Yeah. The implications are exponential to those that have pegged with us. Yeah. So that's, a, that's an even bigger subject, but you're 100 percent right on that. What I've argued to them is uh, to think about the fact that already today Americans participate, I'm not talking about crypto, but I can make a case that most Americans participate in a currency system that is not backed up by the government. And at first people will protest and I very quickly can catch them. And so... Would you like me to elaborate on that? It's kind of uh, Well,
0: I mean, I love where this is going already. Um, Cause for somebody who's not a Bitcoin maximalist, this is definitely kind of one of the key arguments of Bitcoin maximalism for sure. Um, yeah. yeah, But I think my question, and I've been exploring this since I started this podcast is what has been your experience working specifically with advisors around do like, did they know the history? Did they understand the monetary system that they were ultimately building their careers on? Or is this whole, like the fed is egregious printing money out of nowhere. They're debasing exactly. the currency is all this new to them.
1: That's a great, yeah. We, we, we need four po- podcast episodes for that one. Yeah. But, no, listen, this is my opinion, but it's an, I think it's an informed opinion. And um, I think what you have is in any profession, You have an elite level of practitioner that is in constant learner mode, they're constantly questioning, constantly challenging. And I think that holds true to about 10 to 15% of any given profession, even at the elite level, that is constantly in that learner mode, challenging premises, challenging assumptions. And I think going back to what I was talking about before, if you happen to be in the United States in the financial service industry you just take certain things for granted. We yeah. just take things for granted. And, um, and so no, I don't think the vast majority of financial advisors are you know, uh, you know, fluent in micro or macroeconomic or central banking principles. They don't understand the true mechanisms behind that. And in fairness, nor should they, but they should be paying attention to the conversation. They don't need to be central bankers in order to inform or lead their customer base. And this brings up the the new evolution of what advisors are really going to be valued for, which is being more strategic advisors for families. The the products are becoming more and more commoditized. Oh yeah. The first generation of robo products, you know, only got certain amount of penetration. They're only going to get that. They're only going to be more palatable and Look, I'm not sure if I think the same is true for the financial advisory industry as I do for the traditional banking industry, but, you know, retail banks are in in mortal danger, oh, yeah. in mortal danger. Yeah, and I think if the advisory industry isn't careful, uh, you could make a compelling argument that the same is true for advisors. But largely, I think when it comes to digital assets, when I think it comes to economic theory and central bank policy, um, advisors have a lot of challenges. It's hard to go very, very deep. That's why specialization like ours can can fill in that gap. You know, the advisors are in a dilemma. You know, how do I spend a lot of my time to get fluent in digital assets if I'm only going to allocate a sleeve of two to three percent? By the way, that's what we think. That's all we think they should be doing yeah now we think that virtually every client that has equity exposure ought to have digital assets at this stage, yep. for a million reasons, but we only think that allocational or that sleeve ought to be around two to three percent for the wide wide majority of those clients, those households so so uh, how do I spend all my time to be fluent at this if i 'm only going to allocate two to three percent? Well, there are strategic reasons for multi-generational planning, wanting to yeah. retain the next generation of clients that inherit inherit the money, but that's not on the, on, the, on the front burner for most advisors. So what we can do is provide a solution to that dilemma because they don't have to be the subject matter expert, just like they don't have to be the subject matter expert on real estate or commodities or, or anything else that they might allocate that falls yeah. in alternative asset classes like we do. So yeah, you know, so we're trying to we're trying to help them with that, right? They don't have to do the heavy lifting, but they do have to be able to identify and present other subject matter experts that allows the advisor to maintain their primacy, and that's something that's important.
0: Yeah, it kind of gets into the evolution of the advisory relationship because I think you're totally right. Like, gone are the days where you could be a Morgan Stanley and be a stock jockey, and you know. Yeah pick, you know, your, your gig sectors and allocate to all of them. And that's what you do. Like if you think you're going to be better than BlackRock or Fidelity or any of these other managers, like you're high. Right. So, but I think the challenge gets into like, if you're supposed to be, you know, like to borrow a sports analogy, like the manager of a baseball team and pick your, pick your positions, you know, how, how do you as an advisor really do that? Particularly when, your choices are endemic, right? Like there's the crypto digital asset side is blowing up. But if you're just even trying to allocate to emerging markets, like you've got a million managers, like how do you evaluate those? You know,
1: yeah. Yeah, the only, the only counter to that, I said, look, it's, it's, it's the constant dilemma. I think the industry has always had, you could argue yeah. that it's harder now because of the, the bounty of options, or you could argue it's easier now because the technology know, should allow you to do research and deploy your thought process and your own thesis more readily because of the technological advances. When you think about all of the different marketing solutions to help a practice grow, when you think about all of the other ways that you can offload key advisor tasks to other, you have actually more time now to either service clients or uh, take on new clients than you ever did before. So yeah. on the one hand, I think it's really just important for advisors to make sure that they have a strong thesis around how they want to approach their role as a fiduciary or as a steward.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Once that's the case, um, there is a process. And depending on the scale of the practice, you build out people to have functional responsibility for those things. Or you uh, compartmentalize your own time as a sole, you know, practitioner, or in a smaller team, to figure out, you know, what's going to what's going to happen. What you can't do is you can't miss big things. So whether or not it's the estate planning that the client expected you to help them with, whether or not it's, uh, you know, any number of tax matter that. Of course, uh, you know, financial advisor can't provide tax advice, but you get the idea. We've long dealt with that conundrum. You have to be fluent if you want to create value on you know, where are the places that you know we can optimize and um, so forth with respect to a tax, a tax strategy. Um, and I don't think advisors can afford to miss on digital assets. Again, yeah. it's not being a crypto maximalist here. The question really becomes, do you or do you not believe that we have achieved our absolute peak of technological innovation as human beings? Is this it? Is particularly, this it?
0: particularly around money, right? Money Correct. hasn't changed Correct. in. Correct. Correct. Correct.
1: Yeah. So so this is it. This is all we're gonna do. And I think if you if you've come to that conclusion, you know, we'll just agree to disagree. So yeah. if you check that box, then the question is, do you believe that a significant portion of the innovation of technology is going to find its way to digital. And that's really what we're talking about with crypto and digital assets is is that side of technological innovation. And if you believe that is going to grow as well, then you need to start paying attention to what's happening in crypto and digital. That's just as simple as that. Now we can drill down as many layers as we want beneath that. But those are the fundamental questions do you think this is it? Are we done? Okay. All right. Then yeah. good luck. And then the next one is, okay, if you don't think we're done with innovation, do you think a significant amount, not all, but a significant amount of it is going to focus on financial products in institutions, instruments, and um, uh, the the world of finance, especially when Moore's law, as far as computational power is actually slowing down and mm-hmm. has- it's still growing, it's exponential, but at the rate of exponential growth of Moore's law, which is most people probably know, Moore's law is the, you know, the rate at which computational power increases, doubling every, every couple years. Year. Yeah, every single yeah. year. It's slowing down. So the the place for likely innovation has to do with digital, and I think there's very little question uh, that that is headed in this direction. By the way, don't take my word for it. Take Berkshire Hathaway's word. Take JP Morgan Chase's word, yeah. Blackstone, Take Fidelity. Uh, you know, all of these folks are moving in that direction because they don't want to lose where they sit versus a company like ours, which sees this as truly what it is, is the future. You know, we're we're trying to innovate. Other major players are now moving into the market because they've come to the conclusion, okay, yeah, this isn't going anywhere. So we better do something; otherwise, we're going to lose our our market share. And yeah, that's what, all, that's what they're all doing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, shoot, I've, I, there were a number of things I had. I While you're thinking of that,
1: can I go on a Berkshire Hathaway rant? Would that be okay?
0: <laughs> I'd be curious what you have to say about Uncle Uncle Warren and and Charlie. But yeah, <laughs>
1: so two of the most respected people that deserve all the rev, reverence that that they've that they've earned. Yeah. And I, I, before I bash them. And their hypocrisy, I do think it's worth note that even if they missed on Amazon, which they did, yeah. the track record is incredible. The wealth that they've created on behalf of their shareholders is amazing.
0: It's undeniable, yeah. It's
1: undeniable. But, you know, if you, you know we're skewing, in a, we're doing a podcast so it might skew to a younger audience. Some people may not even know who Charlie Munger <laughs> or Warren Buffett is. But these are two of the, the most senior uh, financial executives at Berkshire Hathaway. They're two of the most affluent people in the world. And they're two of the most well-known critics of crypto and digital assets. Munger has famously called crypto "rat poison." Yeah. And Warren Buffett, who's more of the celebrity of that duo, okay, uh, and palling around with all the billionaire clubs. Yeah, Bill
0: like, Gates, most notably.
1: Bill Gates, <laughs> most notably, he said, "quote I wouldn't give twenty five dollars for all the crypto in the world." And, and this is just a cla- one example of, of dozens that I could cite where you see the kind of, of, uh, of uh, sensational headlines by the heads of these financial uh, establishment firms. In 2021, Berkshire Hathaway, in two transactions, bought about one, just under $1.3 billion U.S. worth of a Brazilian bank called Nubank, NU Bank. Now, that in and of itself would be newsworthy. What makes it newsworthy for this conversation is the fact that it happens to also be the largest crypto business in South America, a geography that has far greater adoption than here in the United States or anywhere else in the world, actually, for that matter. Yeah. So you won't give $25 for all the crypto in the world, but the firm that you basically are attached to and are, are, are figuratively and literally leading... OK, you yeah. decide to put in a significant amount of money. Now, in fairness, <laughs> New Bank is not all crypto. OK, yeah. but a big portion of it is more than twenty five dollars. OK, yeah. these are this is the hypocrisy that's going on. And what we, we advise advisors and individuals and thought leaders to be thinking about is if the major institutions in the world are saying, don't look over here while they focus on it maybe you ought to be looking where they're looking yeah and, oh by the way last week new bank announced that it's actually going to be launching its own crypto coin and token oh so, of course yeah
0: there yeah. You so yeah. so i i thought of another question i had for you i kind of oh, wrapping this whole thing together is you'd spoken about government yeah government air quotes uh essentially catch up and part of this conversation has gone a lot towards keeping what you have, right? So go into that like Bitcoin maximalist approach, and maybe loop in CBDCs so here. Be curious what you have there. But do you feel like this monetary system that's emerging away from fiat mm-hmm. has given you know every major sovereign globally? Concern about losing their grip on their currency, right like do you feel like this is I mean I guess this is a big question like do you and you're back oh lost you yeah. um yeah, so I was just saying this is this is a big question, i guess like do you feel like these governments are kind of coming around to well, accepting this stuff and sort of looking at this stuff because they fear their position is yeah. for the first yes, they, time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yes, they do. And it's not just governments, but it is central. It's governments, their central banks, it's uh, government central banks and commercial banks and, and, and financial institutions. Anything that is connected with the legacy trad fi or centralized finance world. Is is extremely concerned about this, yeah? Does it has to be able to deliver value. Let me just give you a couple of, of examples. These are not my numbers, but if you want, you can look at the Atlantic Council GeoEconomics Center. Uh, they're one of I think the uh, they're the gold standard in terms of tracking central bank digital currency uh, movement, momentum, research around the world. Josh Lipsky heads that group in Washington mm-hmm. D.C. Is a brilliant young uh, thought leader in the space, and ninety-two um, percent—it's actually more than ninety-two percent of the world's GDP—is actively researching, having launched, trial, experimenting with CBDC. So yeah. there's the answer to your question on that front, right there. Yeah. Um, but what I what I do think uh, is is happening uh, is. The ironies of what the Satoshi White Paper, and we're coming up on the anniversary, it's almost Halloween. So coming up on that anniversary, and I think the ironies uh, that exist in the crypto and digital asset industry are what makes it so fun and exciting for me. So you have this incredibly, um, you know, kind of... uh, Decentralized white paper view of the world that we don't we we have the technology we don't need central banks we don't need centralized institutions the technology and the distributed network is now big enough that we don't need the computational power is strong enough we don't need central third parties to do this and is that isn't it ironic that it's not identical but the principles of blockchain and decentralization are embedded in CBDC research and experimentation. Mm -hmm. The the, the irony is my personal belief is the the thing that will spark the next major bull run in crypto is actually regulation and participation by the wealth management industry in the United States. Yeah. Until that fully is embraced. We're not gonna see the broad adoption that the industry really is waiting for. These ironies abound in every single direction. But of course, they feel threatened by it. You know, think about how good, think about how good some um, some participants in the global financial system have had it. I, I was stunned when I started doing research. If I told you that over two percent, two percent of global GDP went towards remittances worldwide, I, it blew me away you yeah. be like you, you're like whoa, two percent of the total GDP of the world is connected to the exchange of money being sent from one country to another.
0: And now you can just transfer,
1: and, and, and with the, wallet the, the to wallet. that's correct. And so th- these institutions that have that have owned this space have been charging. Many of these people are sending small amounts. Yep. There are no breakpoints. They're getting fleeced on average. The, the, the fees to move money in that regard are in excess of 9%, 9%. Yeah. It's, 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 it's unconscionable and it's gone on for decades and decades. And this doesn't matter where you are on the food chain. Uh, It's a stunning uh, lack of value that's been uh, created and, and nothing has changed on the remittance and the movement of money and cross-border payments industry. For decades, with all the innovation, with all the tech, nothing has changed, and they've printed a mint, these businesses. So of course they're panicked. They see for the first time being disintermediated. Yeah. You have an entire banking ecosystem from the BIS, the Bank of International Settlements, which I'm sure most financial advisors have never heard of before. It's a really wicked big deal, as they say in Massachusetts, okay? It's yeah. a wicked big deal, and guess what they do? They're the Bank of International Settlements, which ultimately is completely, completely jettisoned in a world of nothing but CBDCs and digital assets. Yeah, you're talking about the 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 the, the pillars. You know, you you brought it up earlier, uh, but banking and finance isn't just one of the oldest industries. I argue it's the original profession. It's, not, it's the oldest profession.
0: Compared to the other one?
1: <laughs> yeah, compared to the other one, actually. Yeah. Some people aren't actually interested in that sort of exchange, but they do need to do banking. Yeah, They do need to have an exchange for their money. And so that's what I would, I would observe.
0: Interesting. I'd love to maybe get a referral for you on the CBDC topic to somebody yeah. who can speak at length about it because the – I'm sure there's advantages to it, for sure. But the authoritarian 1984 route for CBDC seems very clear to me. Yeah. Um, and I, well, that it is, is in
1: China. Oh, it it for sure. It is in sure. China. It is in, I think the answer to this question is what's plaguing the interest industry right now. And, Trust. But, well, it's that. And, and Ben, it goes deeper to that. And this isn't one of the quotes I hate. I often hear, and I was just in New York at an institutional investor conference. I heard somebody say it again. I took exception to it. Somebody about my age, I'm old. And they said, we need to get some adults in the room. I think that is just ridiculous. Yeah. This isn't, and I'm like, really? Is that what we need? The same adults that were there to watch the world meltdown and the financial crisis, more of those adults? Knock it off. I think, I think what, what, what is needed is regardless of how old you are as a lady or a gentleman in this industry, wherever you are, binary, the whole deal, whatever age you are, what the industry needs now is two things: a sense of professional maturity beyond your years, period. And secondly, if you're in the if you're a technologist, if you're a coder, step up your game. Because the 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 absolute embarrassing uh list of exploits that are remedial the the (laughs) you know if there is such a thing there is a good hacker community and you know if you if you listen listen to them the people that follow the bad hackers there's almost like a sense of guilt that it's too easy for the bad actors of the world to take advantage of this industry because the code is absolute shite and this is happening across the ecosystem. Huh. So the time has come where people need, if you are a technologist, you need to think with more forethought about the code that you're writing, whether or not it's, it's an ecosystem of code, whether or not it's one specific uh, um, smart contract, whether or not it's a protocol-based uh, um, platform that you're working on. We are suffering from an absolute deficit in really brilliant code Huh. And it's leading to all of this unnecessary bad press when you see people exploiting things the way that they are and i think whether or not it's regulators whether or not it's uh, government participate uh, participants yeah whether it's all of us we need to have um more of uh, the seven generation thinking that i think was at the core of what the founding fathers of the united states used when they drafted and edited the constitution, you know, uh, well, that's one thing we're
0: horrible at across the board is <laughs>
1: horrible. We, you know, I worked for a fortune 50 company for almost 25 years that actually did strategic planning where you actually had to do L you know, LRPs that were five years or longer, like yeah. long range plan. We're lucky if we get to five quarters, but if what you and I believe to be true is really true, that we're at a moment in time that no other generation that has been alive has lived through, which is we're at a moment where the future of money is being redefined at its very core using technology, now is the time for seven-generation thinking. You know, this goes back to the, you know, the Iroquois nation uh, here in the U.S., in upstate New York, and how the elders tried to think through big decisions that would have an impact for seven generations. And some, yeah, some scholars believe that that was kind of the thinking and the approach that, you know, the framers of the Constitution used. We need that now. Yeah, We need it now so that the trajectory of what digital assets in crypto and decentralized finance can be, is not hijacked or bastardized by all of the bad actors that have existed throughout time, right? Technology is agnostic. Yeah. The question is, do we have enough good thinking people that, that they're not to be ultra, by good, I don't mean altruistic. And that can be
0: dangerous too. <laughs>
1: they, can be cap, they can be capitalists, right? Yeah. Okay. But, but we need that thought leadership now more than at any other time, you might argue, in the history of money.
0: So and let me ask you a fun one here. Yeah. So as far, yeah. as, as far as all this conversation goes, seven, seven generations and all that, how does that inform how you guys invest at Rubicon? What themes are you it's looking at? The,
1: at? Yeah, it's, it's, it's at the core of what we try to do, which is, one, uh, the, the purpose of even forming the entity. So we believe that this industry is not just here for seven generations. It's here for ever. Yeah. Number one. So we are not getting caught up in the short-term conversation. Mm-hmm. We're really focused on what are the use cases, you know, that we think makes sense for the big picture of where uh, human technological advances are going, what, what, what futurists might view as the way that humans will interact with each other. Not the metaverse and the vision that Zuckerberg has, but the metaverse uh, providing you know a, a very very interesting way for human beings to interact um, that we can't even imagine right now. Yeah, uh, we try to think about what are the foundational pillars that are likely to, uh, to, to 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 you know play a role in in building this 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 new world without abandoning though. The, the old. And I think whenever you try to wash away everything from the past, I think that's a very dangerous thing to do.
0: There's a lot of knowledge that's accumulated there.
1: It really is. So I, 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 I don't see a world unless the aliens arrive and we really need to be decentralized completely. So when they reveal themselves and not yeah. uh, the need for a decent, fully decentralized one currency might be, I think more compelling.
0: Joe Rogan We're is finally not, proven right <laughs>
1: you're, you're not going to eliminate all governments. you are yeah. not going to eliminate all fiat currency, whether it 's digitized or not that's not happening yeah i'm sorry it's not happening, but what is happening and what can be uh, built in a utopian way, what can be uh incredibly enriching is these new uh product innovations can have a profound impact on the underbanked and for financial inclusion and for philanthropy and for, you know, enriching the lives of people with cross-border payments. These are, these are really big deals that this industry, you know, is starting to open up creativity to. And that's, what's exciting about, it. you know, uh, you know,
0: what do you think about uh some of the other things out there like ident- yeah. like your identity or like um one that I personally would be fascinated by is uh just voting. Yeah, being able to fully audit fully transparent elections seem to be uh a big thing these days. So yeah. there's all these other use cases that people probably don't hear about, but I'd be curious to know where you go with. It well,
1: I, think I see the use of uh, you know distributed ledger technologies and NFTs and the concert of those being at the core of personal identification uh, over that seven generation and I think we're only a few years removed from more of that happening. Yeah, uh, and I and I think that we've already seen biometrics being used for identification. We're seeing that at TSA. We're seeing that. I think we're going to see that more in the in the voting machines. You yeah. Know, companies like clear, if you've been in the TSA lately, yeah. you know, doing a fingerprint versus a, a facial recognition, mm-hmm. by the way, personal opinion, I strongly recommend against any, any facial recognition technology that you voluntarily subscribe to. It is way, it is way under It is not, it is not where it needs to be, but this is the, this is something that you just teed up. It's inevitable. And I think that blockchain technologies and uh, uh, many of the tokenized ecosystems are going to play a role in that. So let's assume you have all the data for human beings in the world on the blockchain. How do you optimize it? How do you yeah. access it? You know, how do you reduce latency uh, in terms of those systems? And I do think, so for example, we, we like, we like um, you know, projects that are in that space for our portfolio allocations. hmm so that's, that's kind of how we see Yeah, that. yeah. Know, so that, that, that goes back to one of the questions you asked earlier. You know, we just wanted to make it really easy for advisors or individuals to allocate into digital who don't care about hot storage, cold storage, you know, Byzantine general theory, ZK knowledge. They don't, they don't yeah. care. They don't care. They don't care about any of that. All they know is that they want to maybe have a little bit of exposure to digital. And wouldn't it be great if I could do it the way that I do the rest of my portfolio? And that's really where Rubicon came to life. Sure. That's Really what we're perfecting right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's um, let's maybe start to wrap it up because I got to get back to the day job, too. So um, is is there uh, anything else you want to kind of leave with here, Greg? Like, first, I'll just say thanks for coming. This is great. There's a million other things I'd like to ask you and get your perspective on. So I'll definitely have to have you back. But um, any other final thoughts just to leave with and
1: Well, this is, this is the anecdote that I would leave you with. If I said to you in 1997, if you were my client, I said, Hey man, I want to, I want to talk to you about something I think you should invest in. Ben, I've got this, there's a new company. It's, uh, I don't know, it's named after some river in like South America. Uh, You know, I've heard some good things. They're going to sell books. Uh, They might sell some other stuff eventually. And you're going to say, okay, uh, where are they, they going to sell the books and at school and the main street the mall? Now nah, they're going to sell it on the computer, on the line, and on the phone. I mean, you're like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. I mean, I don't buy anything. And of course, we're talking about Amazon uh, in 1997. And if I asked you today, are you happy if you listen to my advice then? And absolutely. You, you did. Okay. Yeah. And so e- everybody puts their hand up, right? Yeah what people forget in this narrative going back to 1997 you know 25 years now removed right so that's 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 an amazing amount of time okay 25 years for 13 years my allocation to amazon was the reason why you teased me ridiculed me or aggravated with me or contemplated firing me as your cfp
0: yeah
1: because for 13 years it did nothing you can look at the charts. You don't have to take Greg's word for it. Go look at the charts. And the charts will tell you it did nothing. As a matter of fact, net of inflation, even when inflation was low, it did nothing. It was negative. And the moral to the story is, we, if we keep, people say this all the time, it's early, it's early. What does that mean? What it means is put it in the context of what some of the other major you know, kind of transformations we've seen in our lifetime and uh when you think about it in those terms you could run the same chart with netflix you could run the same chart i believe with tesla and see a very very similar adoption curve the reality is we don't have we only have a fraction of the humans on the planet interacting with digital assets and crypto right now yeah what happens when we get similar adoption yeah that's what i would leave you with that's why we're excited that's why we have rational exuberance. And that's why we think every advisor ought to be personally allocating to digital. Of course, we think they should do it with us. And we <laughs> think every advisor that has equity positions with their clients ought to have two to 3% of their, their their sleeves in digital assets. We also not surprisingly think they ought to consider doing that with us.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's leave it there. For any advisors interested, go check out Rubicon and give Greg a call.
1: (laughs) I would welcome that. Rubiconcrypto.com. Thanks for all you're doing to advance these conversations, man.
0: Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll definitely have to do it again. But uh, everyone, we'll leave it here and we'll catch you next time.